Hello, this is Edie. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew first how much we appreciate you, and that in honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, right now at Heinemann.com, you can get 15% off and free shipping on all Heinemann professional books. This offer runs until May 11th. Head on over after the episode. Some restrictions apply. See the website for details. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. I'm Steph from Heinemann, and this week on the Heinemann Podcast, we're happy to bring you the final of three special minisodes that invite you all into the conversations of the Heinemann Summer Book Study, hosted in the Heinemann PD Teaching and Learning Facebook group. This year, we're hosting a conversation on two books with intersecting themes, Kids First from Day One by Christine Hertz and Christine Mraz, and Being the Change by Sara Ahmed. Our book study facilitator, Jacqueline Karabinas, sat down with Jessica Lifshitz, a Heinemann Fellow from Cohort One, to discuss this week's theme, Designing Informed and Responsive Curriculum. Thanks for coming here today, Jess. I wanted to start by talking about Becoming Better Informed. There's a chapter in, in Being the Change called Becoming Better Informed, and it notes a lot about capturing children's questions and listening to them. And I wondered if you could talk about how you allow children to bring their questions and conversation into the classroom and use that as your starting point for building curriculum. Sure. Uh, I think that I teach fifth grade. So by the time kids come to me, they know how to do school. And many of them know how to do it really well. And a lot of them, by the time they reach fifth grade, have come to understand that school isn't always a place for their questions or their questions are only allowed at specific times. So my first task is to show them through my actions and through our schedule and through the time we spend together that there is space here for their questions and their interests and their thoughts about the world. So, you know, that comes even from the very beginning, sharing books and texts with the students and then giving them time and space to share their thinking. And I think it comes in really easy ways at first, just in terms of, you know, what did you think about that book? And just making sure we slow down enough to provide them that space. And I think once they see the spaces there, they're more willing to fill it with their questions and with their wonderings. And I think it's, you know, standing at the door at the start of the day and listening to their conversations. And, you know, we have all this stuff flying around in our minds that of what we have to get done and what we have to cover. And we can become kind of frantic with all of that as teachers. And I think we really have to deliberately slow ourselves down. And if there is an issue that the students are talking about, to make sure that they know there's space here for us to learn how to explore that in a responsible way. In that chapter, Sara mentions that once students start conversation about things they're bringing into the classroom, they're all speaking their truths and assumptions are formed. And that when you allow this discourse, that's how knowledge is constructed. And so I didn't know if you could, if you could give an example of a time in your classroom where you've helped navigate conversations with your students and use that to build inquiry based on their conversations. Yeah, I think inquiry is the perfect 
type of work to help kids sort of explore the things that they're walking into the classroom with, because it's less about covering specific content and more about teaching them a process through which they can walk through outside of the classroom when they hear something that they're uncertain of or they hear something that they um, need to find more information. We're teaching them ways to do that that exposes them to multiple perspectives and reliable sources. So um, I remember a couple years ago, there was we were doing some inquiry circle work and the kids were looking into current social issues that they wanted to learn more about. And there was a group studying police brutality and as I was sort of walking around the room, I noticed a conversation that was getting a little bit louder than any of the other conversations. And I think as teachers, we are so conditioned to protect our kids from any conflict that we have this desire to run over and interrupt conflict before it gets out of hand. But when we do that, I think a lot of times we're not teaching our kids how to navigate that conflict. So there were two kids who from afar looked to be having a kind of heated discussion. And so I walked over and I just listened. I stopped and listened to the conversation that the kids were having. And they were talking about an article that they read. And, and there was one student who was talking about how, you know, he had read several articles that discussed how black men were mistreated and treated unfairly by police officers. And there was the other student who was talking about how both his uncle and grandfather were police officers. And they've shared, you know, conversations that had been had around the dinner table about how frightening it is to be a police officer and how unfair the treatment of police officers has been through the media. And they were sort of arguing back and forth. And instead of feeling like I needed to stop the conversation or guide it in a specific direction, I instead asked them if it was possible that there was truth to both sides of this argument. And what I meant by that was, could it be that police officers spend their time in a situation that often makes them fearful, while at the same time, Black men are being treated unfairly. And it was this idea that it wasn't that they were compromising, but coming to an understanding that there could be truth within both of those without negating anybody's individual experience. And I think that's something we don't always trust kids will be capable of understanding. But I can tell you, after I walked away, they continued their conversation. And what I noticed is that they started listening to each other in a way they hadn't been before. That before we had had that conversation, they were just sort of each spewing their ideas back and forth without the listening. And then when I walked away, they started really trying to hear and understand each other. And so those are the skills that I think we can teach kids to help them navigate some of this stuff. Right. Like they, they probably didn't even know or had never even experienced a conversation where they could stop and say, we can have conflicting truths simultaneously. And think of how much learning happens in that moment, just the ability that you can take that and you can transfer that to the next conversation and the next conversation to be able to sit back. And that's something that adults need. We all need that. The idea of being able to teach kids that I can honor your truth without negating anybody's humanity. You know, there's a difference between listening to somebody's lived experience. There's a difference between that and saying, well, you know, 
immigrants to our country don't have a right to be here. That's really negating somebody's ability to exist freely and, and justly in our country. That is not something I'm going to honor in my classroom. I'm not going to let anybody, you know, sort of negate another person's right to be a full human within our classroom. But that that's different than allowing people to speak their truth and to, to share their lived experience with others and teach kids how to listen to the lived experiences of others, even if it's conflicting. I marked something in Kids First from day one about how they ground their work. And they, they note three ways that they ground their work, that curriculum should be responsive and intentional, that we need to build a better teaching toolbox with clear teaching structures so we can drive complex learning, and that responsive teachers draw from all they know. And that mm -hmm. last one really is sticking in my mind because to be responsive, if to be responsive means to draw from all we know, then it is our responsibility to continue building what we know. And so I wondered if you could share some of the ways you continuously build your knowledge to share with your students. What jumps out to me you know, right away when I think about that is the work I've done outside of my own school, just in terms of understanding concepts like bias and really doing the work to look within myself to understand my own biases. Because if I'm gonna come into a classroom and ask kids to wrestle with their biases, I have to be willing to make myself vulnerable and share the work I've done confronting my own biases and how I've worked to try to move past some of them. I think if, if I had walked into a classroom and asked kids to think about you know, assumptions that they make about groups of people without having done the work myself to look at my own assumptions, I think that, first of all, kids would know right away that I was... <laughs> And I wouldn't be able to know the language to help them walk through that process. So one of the things that I started to do was really listen to the stories and lived experiences of people who experience um, the kinds of bias that I might not know. Racial bias in terms of making negative assumptions based on skin color. You know, I, that's not life experience that I've had. And because we live often such segregated lives, it's not information that was always right in front of me. So I really started to seek out the stories of people who had been more affected by things like racial bias and systemic racism. And as I listened to the stories of others, I then started to be able to better reflect on my own life and experiences. And then I could ask kids the kinds of questions that would help them to reflect on those things. And I could design experiences that I thought might help them see the biases that they carry around. So it's a lot of listening. It's a lot of seeking out stories that are being told, but might not have been um, heard by us as, as teachers, especially those of us who are white teachers. I also think it's just sort of looking at the world in a way of always being on the lookout for things that I think my students need to know or need to be taught how to deal with. Our kids are just exposed to so much information. And I think as teachers, we've been a little bit behind the times in terms of teaching the skills to help them deal with that information. So being on the lookout for the examples of the kinds of things that I could bring in to my kids. Just the idea of seeking out other stories that are unlike your own experience, I think that's that's pretty accessible. I feel like if you take kids to the library, for example, and you challenge them with trying to track down something that they wouldn't have normally chosen to read, or 
if you ask them to, you know, randomly mix up and have a conversation with a student they don't typically have a conversation with, and just model those things in ways where they can see how quickly they can find something out that they wouldn't have found naturally in the rhythm of their day. Yeah, and I, I think also just sort of broadening our understanding, you know, I, I teach reading and writing, and I think our idea of reading has sort of stalled at this image of a kid holding a chapter book, maybe annotating or using post-its to write down thinking. And I think we need to sort of adapt that image of what it means to read, because when we're out in the world and and we're reading that looks so different that comes from video clips it comes from social media it comes from the images that bombard us daily as we navigate the world and i think looking at again the things that i wish i had been taught to do so that i was better prepared to deal with all of this information that is reading those are the reading skills we need to be teaching our kids and that it goes beyond teaching them how to annotate a chapter book. And I think the more we can bring that into our classroom, we're going to see a shift in how young people are able to deal with the information because they're already accessing the information, but they don't have all the skills they need to deal with that information in a responsible way. And I think as teachers, we can be the ones to help them build that skill set. You weave all of this into reading and writing Mm -hmm. Because obviously you teach fifth grade, you have curriculum, you have skills you want students to walk away with. And I wondered if you might be able to share some of your favorite ways to weave these conversations into reading and writing in a natural way. So I, I don't think there's a school or certainly a public school out there that isn't looking at the common core standards and finding ways to bring them to students. And I think a lot of times we use things like common core standards sort of as an excuse as to why we can't tackle more meaningful and authentic work. But what I've found is the more I know the standards, the better I am able to use the standards to sort of justify bringing in really meaningful, really authentic work to my students. Because so much of the standards, or so many of the standards, are based on things like supporting your claims with evidence, you know, looking at an author's message or the theme of a text. And those are the kinds of things that we're asking kids to do as we ask them to tackle tough topics by looking at multiple perspectives presented in multiple texts. So my first response is to use the standards as justification for why we're doing this work with kids. And when I say this work, I mean the work that's really being guided by what our kids are bringing into the classroom. I think the books that we choose to read in order to teach the skills we're trying to teach can also be a really easy way to start to weave some of this work together. And then the other thing that it makes me think about is always thinking about the purpose of why we're teaching what we're teaching. So when I first started teaching, I felt like everything I did was sort of a checklist of items. I was teaching kids how to infer as readers, and that was sort of my end point. And I checked that off the list, and then I moved on and I taught kids how to synthesize as readers. But what I now try and, and do is to think about why I'm teaching those things. And that's my new end point. So now I'll take something like synthesis and I will say to myself as I'm planning out a unit, okay, I'm gonna teach my kids how to synthesize so that they are able to pull together multiple texts showing multiple perspectives and reach a more complex 
and full understanding of a tough topic. So now synthesis is not the end point. The end point is being able to bring together multiple perspectives in order to understand an issue. And synthesis is the way I'm going to get there. So always asking myself, why do I want my kids to know how to do this? So I'm still teaching that checklist of skills, but now there's a real purpose and meaning behind all the work that we're doing. Our thanks to Jacqueline and Jess for their time today. You can join our summer book study conversations by searching for the Heinemann PD Teaching and Learning Facebook group. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Heinemann podcast on iTunes and Google Play, where you can leave a comment or review. We're also now streaming on Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our various Facebook groups. Thanks for listening.